You're listening to Food Confidence, a podcast about approachable health and imperfect food, all for the sake of the next generation. I'm Jennifer Bravo. And I'm Andrea Paul. We are two non-diet health professionals on a mission to empower parents and caregivers in raising food and body confident kids. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Food Confidence Podcast. We are tuning in from our social isolation offices, which is my guest bedroom. And Andrea, where are you? I am in my basement guest bedroom slash office. (laughs) So usually we would be in the same location recording together. But unfortunately, we find ourselves in these very strange times. So luckily, you know, the magic of technology allows us to still record together. And that's the beauty of this, is that we can still stay in touch even from afar. Thank goodness for technology. Yes. So I'm home right now. My husband is considered an essential worker. He is not on the front lines, though, so, you know, he's in construction. But that means that I am home with my two kiddos, just me (laughs) and them. (laughs) So you've been doing the solo parenting gig during the week for yeah. what we're on week I seven, I think. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever number it is now of our shelter in place pandemic quarantine. Yes. And I have a little one that just opened the office door to come in and say hi. So we shall see. But that's kind of how it's been going. So Andrea and I, we decided, right, that we're going to do an episode today to just kind of check in on our listeners and to just kind of talk about what's going on in life and how much of a struggle this is. I actually, I just saw a quote that I thought was really relevant. And it said, we're not all in the same boat, but we're in the same storm. So everybody's experiencing this differently. Everyone has different levels of support and what they're doing and what they're going through. And it's not easy no matter what. This storm is hard. And sometimes it feels like we're all alone on a boat, but we are all in it together. Yeah, I agree. I've been kind of going back and forth between those kind of more grounding, inspirational type of memes or quotes. And I think those can be really, really helpful. And then also going into some of the sillier memes related to the coronavirus, which just adds some levity. I mean, certainly this is a really serious situation. And you don't want to underplay that. And everybody is struggling in different ways. But I think it it does, we do, you do need to kind of relieve some of that tension occasionally through whatever, you know, means of silliness (laughs) you you have at your disposal. I think that there is something to comic relief, right? Like you and I, we are at home, we are safe, our basic needs are met. And so... You know, we don't have the context of people, you know, who are truly, truly in it or people who are like, luckily, we don't have any like family members or friends who've had, you know, COVID or if they, you know, not serious symptoms of it. And so, you know, 
considering our normal, which is in a really safe and privileged place, sometimes comic relief does help us kind of get out of our heads. You know, I'm sure it's totally different for people who are really frontline workers and are in it every single day. And what they need is like above and beyond anything I could even imagine. But depending on the different, you know, levels of where we are, different things help different people. And sometimes some comic relief is helpful. (laughs) Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that because we are, we do have both of our basic needs are met and we're not essential workers, <laughs> which, you know, I have go back and forth between being very grateful about that and also having some guilt, you know, that I should be doing more. And that kind of leads me to think uh, to mention that you've been you you know you've been putting in some time and effort to kind of raise some awareness and raise some funds and kind of do you part so I'm interested to hear about what inspired that and you know tell us more about your your fundraising efforts (laughs) Yeah. yeah you know I don't even really know where to start with it because I feel like on one hand, I the first few weeks I was totally paralyzed by fear and anxiety. And so it kept me feeling really low. Like I was having a really hard time motivating and doing things that were creative and doing things that felt helpful. I felt totally like kind of what you were just saying, where I'm like thankful that I'm not immediately affected and that I'm not a frontline worker because it's so scary. But then also feeling guilt that I'm an able-bodied person with privilege. Uh, You know, how can I help and how can I make a difference? And it actually (laughs) started because um, a friend of mine, Lauren, was doing a creative COVID prompt where every day she was giving you ideas on how to be creative and stay like creative in your own home without doing like work, just kind of like fun, free things. And one of them was like beading and using what you had on hand to create like bracelets. And so I was like, oh, that is really fun. And Lila would really enjoy that. And so I actually, so I ended up ordering some beads and a, like one of the things that I had ordered came and there were teeny, teeny, tiny beads. And it was a total lesson in like reading the description. I was just on the picture and there were teeny tiny beads. And so at first I was like, Oh, Lila can't, you know, she's not going to be able to play with these. But then we ended up having so much fun making these rainbow bracelets that I was like, you know what, this is really fun. And it just kind of hit me one day, like, I would buy a bracelet like this, especially for a fundraiser. And so I just, I sent out a little poll on Instagram and I was like, would you guys be interested in this? And it got an overwhelming response. But based on that response, I kind of was like, oh, I might raise like $300, which in my head was actually a huge success because, you know, they're $10 beaded bracelets. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Like, $300 makes a big difference, especially when it comes to this organization that I'm so passionate about, which is Full Plates, Full Potential, and they help feed food insecure school-aged kids. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, this will be totally successful if I raise $300. So we went ahead and we did it. And Lila was having so much fun beating these bracelets. And then suddenly we were overwhelmed by the response. We received like 
almost like 80 orders. And we ended up raising about $1,500 in just basically a week. It was really just a weekend that we raised like $1,200. And then the, like that following week, a few orders trickled in. And so, yeah, for like basically three days of fundraising efforts, it felt like a huge success. You know, $1,500 feeds over five or I think, yeah, five or 600 kids. So yeah, it felt like a huge success. And it was something that kept us creative, kept us home, but helped make a, a significant impact in our community. Well, I'm so proud of that initiative. And I, of course, you know, purchase a bracelet and I, yeah. I wear it on a daily basis. And I just think of you and Lila, like, you know, sitting down and beating together and it yeah. makes me happy and it's, yeah. it's colorful and yeah, it makes a big difference. And I think, you know, people are searching for it, people who, I mean, at least people who have maybe some funds to donate and kind of maybe are feeling similarly to ourselves that we want to, you know, put our efforts towards something that's going to have an impact during a really difficult time. You know, people are looking for things like that. So, you know, it's kind of, it's such a win-win and yeah, yeah, I'm really happy that it's been such a success and an activity that's been enjoyable for you as well. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was a fun activity and it was a great opportunity to talk to Lila about what's going on and ways that we're helping and ways that we're supporting, you know, her peers and, you know, the people who just need our help in our community. And she, she generally, I mean, she's still young. She's three and a half. She turns four in September. And so she generally got it. There were a few times where she suddenly got really nervous and she thought like, oh, do we not have snacks anymore? And so, you know, there was just another talking point of, no, well, we have plenty. We've got access to these things. But there are a lot of kids in our community that don't. And we just kind of kept on talking her through it. And it was nice. I mean, at a certain point, I had to have her step away because, <laughs> because as soon as orders started coming in and people started having like custom, you know, names and, and really specific orders, I was like, okay, it's time for you, for you to leave. And then it turned into mommy's project. <laughs> but the overall thing, it was a success for us at home too. It was good. That's so fun. And yeah, she is, she is only three and a half. So, it, you know, those are, I'm sure helpful conversations, but you know, and good conversations to have. It's it's hard to, it's hard to conceptualize. Yeah. Well, it's hard to conceptualize for adults too, Mm -hmm. right? What's going on in that kind of also makes me think of like the very real anxiety that is invoked when we're going to the grocery store these days. Terrifying. Yeah. It's not only like the health concerns, you know, now we're, I think governor Mills mandated that people, all essential workers are to wear masks maybe just the other day yesterday or so and you know it's really encouraged that the public are wearing masks when they're going out you know whether it's a grocery store or to a medical office or on a hike even I've seen lots of people wearing masks if they're out you know walking a trail or or whatnot so not only from like a health standpoint but also just the effect of seeing empty shelves right how anxiety inducing that has been the mindset suddenly is like yeah fully blaring because you suddenly are are like oh the things that normally are here and I normally have available 
aren't. And what does that mean? And and when can I come to the grocery store next? You know, when when will I have access to this next? Whether it's because it's in stock or because, you know, my next trip here. And I don't know about you, Andrea, but we've been trying to limit our grocery trips to like once every two weeks, if at all possible. And so if there's something that isn't in stock that I was hoping for, you know, I'm not going to the next grocery store to try to find it. I'm going home. And so hopefully it's there the next time I go. Yeah, we are going, I will admit we are going a little bit more frequently than I would like. We're going like once a week or once every, you know, eight or nine days. Yeah. We are trying to limit, but we, there are just certain staples that we run out of really quickly. And I think I saw this somewhere online, but like if, if seeing empty shelves and feeling anxiety around that doesn't speak to the effects of restriction and deprivation in kind of like a dieting sense, I don't know what does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it it mirrors those things really strongly for a lot of people. A lot of people are being forced to, in terms of like diet culture and in terms of intuitive eating, you know, something I always say to my clients is it's really easy to do intuitive eating when things are going well, when life gets chaotic or when extra stressors hit or something happens in your family and life gets hard. That's when it's really important to really dig deep and say, okay, how are, how are these tools that I've been learning? And how are these these principles that I've been practicing, how do these apply to the situation when it's hard? Because when it's easy, when life is easy, it's easy to kind of find joyful movement. It's easy to eat pretty balanced and, you know, a, a diverse, you know, amount of foods. But when life gets hard, that's when we start to forget hunger signals or when our hunger, hunger signals come twice as hard or when movement all of a sudden just kind of dies down and goes to zero. Or when we yeah. feel so stressed that maybe all we want to do is go and go for a run or something, you know, that's when these messages get like super jumbled and come at us really hard in whatever direction. And that's, you know, when the time is to really say, okay, what are these tools I have in front of me and how can I use them and utilize in a way that feels like it's making a difference? And I think right now, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, this is a totally new normal and what does that mean for food? And what does that mean for movement? And how I, how can I survive this time, you know, considering all of those things? Yeah, definitely. I think that it forces us to take a wider lens to our definition of intuitive eating mm-hmm. and how we're taking care of ourselves. Right. Because really, in its most basic sense, like intuitive eating is just getting our basic needs met. Right. And how, you know, first and foremost, getting our basic needs met. So how can we do that in a really compassionate way when we don't have either access to the foods that we're normally, we would normally have around, or we don't have the access to the same types of movement Mm -hmm. or connection, really, that we, we normally have. I mean, one of the things that I keep coming back to with, you know, the the handful of clients that I'm still seeing virtually, thank goodness that I have that ability for both myself and for them is this idea that like, there's no way that we could have really, anybody could have prepared for something like this. Right. And it's total, total uncharted territory. The word that keeps coming back is it's totally unprecedented. We, you know, there's no way that we would have the, the, 
know-how on how to prepare and, and deal with something like this. So, you know, how can we take care of ourselves in the best, you know, using those coping skills and using those self-care tools that we do have built up and knowing that that's going to look very different from what our previous, you know, quote unquote, normal life is and just showing ourselves the need to show ourselves a lot of compassion yeah. as we navigate this. Right. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's the number one takeaway from, like you said, like intuitive eating is about meeting your basic needs. And I think in this time more than ever, that is all that anybody can ask of themselves is to meet their basic needs and to have compassion to do so. I've seen a lot of people or I've received a lot of messages from people where they, you know, when intuitive eating is in their normal life, it goes really, really well. But now suddenly they're finding like old diet messaging starts to kind of creep up in a time like this because they're starting to feel the effects of, you know, working from home and not having their normal routine and not having that normal movement routine. And, you know, meal times are a little bit more, you know, blurred. And so I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, okay, well, now suddenly all of these you know, low key dieting things that I thought I had put in the past in the rear view mirror are starting to rear their ugly heads. And I'm starting to kind of find myself slowly drifting back into that mentality. And I thought mm-hmm. that was super interesting. But what comes up the most for me when I hear that is just acknowledging that people have for, you know, decades, ever since like, you know, dieting has been a thing and diet culture has been a seriously big thing. People have used dieting as a coping mechanism, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of the time people create these diet routines as a way to control. And in a situation like this, when we feel like we do not have any control, it's really easy for those old mechanisms to kind of pop up and say, oh, hey, remember me? Remember when I worked for you? And even though they actually never did, it has this false sense of reality that they they might have. And that is kind of fleshing you back into that that mindset that says, oh yeah, okay, how can I, how can I regain control? Oh, food, food decisions, movement, movement decisions. Let's regain control there because it's not happening anywhere else right now. And I think that's a totally natural response given our culture and how conditioned that is, you know? Absolutely. That was, I'm just sitting here like nodding my head because I do think it is a desire to have some control over a uncontrollable situation. And At the same time, we can notice those things and we don't necessarily have to act on them. But, you know, it's it's very natural for those desires to come up because it is such a difficult situation and there is so much uncertainty. So wanting to have some control is totally normal. I think, you know, again, coming back to having that compassion for ourselves and those around us and you know, because we're all just doing the best we can. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the time, that overwhelming feeling of like, oh, okay, I'm going to use food to cope and control. It's a fleeting feeling. It's a fleeting emotion when we're suddenly feeling so overwhelmed, or when we've had a bad day, or when, you know, we're scrolling on social media, and we're seeing other people's highlight reels. It's so easy to feel like, okay, that's the solution. 
But the biggest thing I think people can do is actually just honor that uncomfortable feeling and say, okay, you know what? That feeling is coming from this. Or, you know what? Today's been a really hard day. It makes perfect sense that I am looking towards a past version of myself for relief. Or, you know, in this moment, I'm feeling stressed and anxious and I need some sort of control. And just sitting and recognizing what's going on and really kind of getting to the root of it in some capacity will help that feeling just flow through you. And then you can kind of move on without acting on that impulse to make some significant change. And that is the hardest thing to do, but it's also, I think, the best thing that we can do is just sit and acknowledge how we're feeling and then let that help us move on. Yeah. I think learning how to tolerate discomfort is, is a practice in resilience. Yes. Yeah. And so that is, I think a good segue into a article (laughs) that I know we want to discuss. It was sent to me no less than four times by (laughs) several different people over, over the weekend or over the last few days. And, you know, in this time, you know, in our, I think, own little non-diet bubbles, there's probably been a lot of similar messaging around or pushing back, I should say, against the pandemic, you know, or quarantine weight gain memes and jokes and and all of those things that are really born of, you know, weight stigma and fat phobia. Right. And so, you know, if, if you're if our listeners, if any of our listeners are finding that those are really popping up on their feeds, you know, remember that you have the ability to create your own bubble and really block those things out if they're feeling harmful or triggering or upsetting in any way. Yeah. You know, you don't need to have, you don't need to expose yourself to those things because it is so absolutely pervasive this time it's, you know, earlier in this episode, we were just talking about like lighthearted memes and comic relief. And I think it's easy to see like a fat phobic meme and think like, oh no, this is just being silly. This is just comic relief. You know, we're all in it together. We're all thinking this. And I see where that reasoning and that explanation kind of comes. And I see how that thought process would exist. But what's really happening there is that it is a underlying theme that when we aren't in control, we're just going to get fat. And being fat is the worst possible thing that could happen. And that isn't true, right? That isn't true at all. And so when we see these memes, what we are saying, even if we think it's a joke, is we are saying, but our friends and our neighbors living in the larger bodies are our sacrifice these people we can sacrifice you know and and point our fingers at their bodies and laugh at them and say haha yes we're all in this together nobody wants to get fat like them and that is where that fat phobia comes and even if you're like oh no but i look at those things and i'm not thinking that at all you might not be thinking that in the moment but that is the again theme of fat phobia. And that is the theme of what happens in our culture when we only celebrate small bodies and we demonize larger bodies. Absolutely. It might feel like it rolls off your back because, you know, it's, it's so normalized, but, you know, think about the people in your life that 
you know, that might hit that, that it's going to hit a little bit harder for yeah. them. You yeah. know, if, if their bodies and are kind of like the butt of jokes right. without really, you know, having even a second thought about it, yeah. like that's super problematic. Brutal. It is because it is so pervasive. It is pervasive. But I think right now in this time, you know, I didn't, this isn't my original thought. I saw this on Instagram somewhere, but if the worst thing that happens to you during this pandemic is you gain weight, then you have it really freaking good, right? People are dying. People are being exposed to this. People are going through an awful time once they have COVID-19. People are being disrupted. They're unemployed. They're, they're you know, life savings is being eaten up. There are so many different things that are happening. So many people, you know, different people are being disproportionately affected. And if the worst thing that happens to you is that you have an access to an abundance of food and you have to kind of chill a little bit longer and watch Netflix a little bit longer and you might gain a few pounds, like you're good. That's fine. Yeah. You survived. <laughs> you survived. And I would argue you thrived. Yeah, seriously. So yeah, let's keep some perspective here. <laughs> and all this isn't to say like you're wrong and you're a bad person for feeling discomfort in your body changing. You know, that's not it. That's it's totally yeah. normal to feel that way. It's totally fine to say, you know what, something the world is kind of going through something right now and as a result, you're feeling uncomfortable in the changes that are happening in your own body and that's okay. We're just trying to make the argument that you don't have to go out and suddenly change that and lose weight and go through something. Like right now, we just want you to sit and feel and be more compassionate with yourself and understand that it is okay if you gain weight during this. It is okay if things don't feel normal and things are feeling scary. And it's okay if your desire is weight loss. That's so normal. That is so, so, so normal. That's what our society totally kind of conditions us to think. And so we get it and we understand and we're just trying to offer perspective. Yeah. And I think also during this time, you know, this is the time that out of almost by default a little bit that we do have to really prioritize our mental and emotional health and well-being perhaps a little bit more than our physical well-being because you know if if you know running or going to the gym was your preferred you know method of movement and those things are just not accessible to you right now then they're just not accessible. I mean, you can fight it all you want, but if you, if, you know, if CrossFit was your go-to and that was a form of joyful movement for you and you just aren't able to engage in that, then, you know, there's just this, an amount of acceptance that we need to have with that, that these things are just not available to me right now. And what else can I do to take care of myself? So I think it just means, what else, you know, what else can I do? How else can I, make an impact on my mental health. And that might, you know, we're not arguing that movement doesn't help your mental health. We want you to still move, but we want it to be a joyful way. We want it to be in a way that's accessible. And if right now, joyful and accessible movement is only happening once or twice a week, you know, we're just trying to tell you that that's okay. 
it's okay. Yeah. You know, don't force, don't, don't try to make something happen above and beyond what is going to work for you. And it's okay if you have a day where you feel paralyzed by fear and anxiety and you can't quite get off the couch because the more you have that opportunity to sit with yourself and say, this is just a bad day and tomorrow is a new day, you might find yourself feeling a higher desire to go out and go for a walk around your neighborhood tomorrow. Yeah. And that's what we yeah. want. You know, we don't want you to force anything. We don't want you to create a high standard that is unattainable for the long term. We want us to all kind of be in this place where we are, again, coming back to this word, compassionate with ourselves, because that will motivate the real meaningful movement and the real meaningful eating patterns that are actually going to help make you feel better. Mm-hmm. So... We did go off on a tangent as we do, but can we segue back into this particular article? Oh, yeah. Perhaps. I hate this article so much. It was sent to me as well. And then I sent it to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This article, man. Perhaps, I mean, maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. Maybe not. I mean, it's it's worth a read just to kind of perhaps, you know, So you have, so listeners have a point of reference to kind of maybe what we're being critical of or trying to kind of break down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't think, yeah, Um, I don't think there's anything particularly harmful in the post outside of the fat phobic rhetoric that we're exposed to every day. So, you know, I don't think it would be bad to link it. Right. Yeah. I think it would be good. And there are some, there are some good points in it, you know, and I think that those highlights we will will point out yeah. are made by you know a a local dietitian who does work with pe- those with eating disorders. So and there's nothing negative about the points that she's made. It's just kind of how the bad author right right how the author kind of threaded that advice through and kind of had her I, I think had her own agenda perhaps on I, like what kind of point she wanted to make. Yeah, yeah, yes. So the article in our local paper had a pretty unfortunate title and subtitle, which was Fattening the Curve, Hold Up at Home Mainer Struggle with Overdoing the Carbs and Comfort Foods. So right off the bat, we're setting the stage, yeah, to demonize both carbohydrates and comfort foods and this idea that fat is bad. I will say that, you know, some of the people that were interviewed did make a point to say, you know, there will be no food shaming in the house during the pandemic and that they are just, they, they recognize that, you know, the desire to perhaps bake more or seek out more rich foods that they wouldn't normally have around is really a survival instinct. And I think that's so true that if we weren't driven to eat for, for pleasure, for pleasurable reasons, then we wouldn't have the drive to eat like we do. Right. So I think that those are some kind of good points that are made by the people that are interviewed or quoted in this particular article. The, you know, no food shaming in the house and that we are really recognizing that food is a comfort and is a way that we are going to survive. Yeah, and it, it was interesting to me because everybody that was interviewed had the same common theme, but then the writer of this article like took it and ran with it in the opposite direction. <laughs> and like I found myself reading this article and being like, what the heck did I just read? Like 
it was all over the place. It bounced like right. a ping pong ball. And right. everybody was trying to say like, no food shame. And then the author just went ahead and was like, but we're still going to food shame. And it was like, no, like that's not, <laughs> that's the exact opposite of what these people are even saying. Like I'm just speculating, but I'm assuming if you were the person interviewed, you'd be reading this article like, wait, was she even listening <laughs> to what I said? But all of that is to say is that they go on, this this author goes on after all these people say there's no need to food shame. We're in a pandemic. We're just kind of having fun with food right now. And she goes off to say like, what did she say? Carbageddon? Carbo- Carbo- oh yeah, she used that word, Carbageddon. Carbageddon. And like, again, demonizing carbs. And Andrea, I would love for you to speak if you feel so inclined now that I've put you on the spot, speak from a registered dietitian's perspective. Why are carbs so important? And why is it that people that have demonized carbs kind of have it wrong? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, you don't maybe have like, you know, the research right in front of you, but from your just general training, like why is that, why is this not, why, why is it wrong to demonize carbs? Well, I am so glad that you asked because this is the conversation I have like so often that, you know, I think diet culture has demonized carbs in a way that makes that people are really surprised when I tell them, no, car- carbs are, you know, they're our life source. They are our preferred source of fuel by the body. So, you know, carbohydrates come from from fruits, from a little bit from from some dairy products, from grains, from starches. So they are really what our body prefers to use as fuel. That's how our, you know, our metabolism works is that it's our cells need carbohydrates for fuel. That's what they're there for. And we see in this article that some of the people that are interviewed are saying, well, we don't really follow a diet, but we do try to watch how much potatoes and bread we eat. Well, it's as well as desserts. Desserts are kind of one of the other big things as well. It's one of those things that I think just comes up again and again, that things like potatoes and bread and pasta are, you know, these bad, quote unquote, bad foods, where when there's really no science behind that or or true reason behind that I think probably a lot of that fear is born out of like the high protein low carb phases that we've gone through over the years and that you know protein is the most important thing when really carbohydrates are the most I I mean there's really no most important macronutrient let's be real protein carbs and fat right that's like a circle like or not a circle yeah excuse me a triangle like there, there is nothing that stands above the other. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say it's more of a linear three dot line. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I also remember in the, in the intuitive eating book, the authors specifically point out that we need, you know, we can have adequate calories, but we need adequate calories in the presence of, of, adequate carbohydrates as well. So we need both adequate calories and adequate carbohydrates because we can get adequate calories, but if we don't have adequate carbohydrates, like our body's metabolism is not going to be using that energy at an opt- in an optimal way. Right. So we and need I mean, both of those things. Year, Andrew, if it were the year 1995, we'd be having this conversation about fat, right? 
Like, oh, for sure. Maybe everybody would be like, yeah, so I, you know, I just, we're eating, we're not on any specific diet, but we just try to make sure we're eating low fat foods and, and we're trying to reduce our fats. And that's not even a point of conversation anymore, right? So just right. To show how the three macronutrients in some way over the years, they're just going to get demonized. We're just going around and around in a circle, demonizing our macronutrients rather than just saying, you know what, all of these work together in synchronicity in our favor to provide energy and to provide fuel. And the more we harp on that, what we end up doing is the more we end up taking away from our bodies. Well, if we can just like chill out for a second and like just let our let our bodies eat these this highly diverse food you know source that is in front of us which is the you know at the grocery store and in our everyday lives because we are living in this very you know privileged food accessible way in normal life you know if we can just let ourselves just take a break from overthinking food i think we'll find ourselves in a much happier, healthier place because you're yeah. then just able to diversify much more um, naturally. And I mean that in the sense of like normally and, and, and what's the word? We have that ability to self-regulate naturally. That's our yeah. innate intuitive, you know, way to eat. Right. I also, this also kind of makes me think the article specifically is how people are, or I guess maybe the way it's framed, but you know, Facebook and social media is full of people showing off their, you know, what they're baking during quarantine. And I saw this great post by a colleague of mine. Oh, actually, I think it was Lori, who we had previously interviewed on the podcast, (laughs) which was great. And it was like, congratulations, carbohydrate or congratulations, carbohydrates on your epic comeback, which I would agree, like, you know, certainly I am, I am baking more and I'm enjoying baking. And I, I would love to kind of talk about, you know, why that is comforting and, and satisfying to people, including myself. But I also wonder from this article, again, that, you know, how people are kind of framing their desire, their urge to bake and have those kind of sweet comfort foods around. They're kind of framing that as kind of a negative thing. And I also wonder, you know, if those things were part of their regular life, if they gave themselves permission to have those things would they feel as tempted by those foods or, or having them around? Right. So right. it's kind of like a double-edged, maybe a double-edged sword is not the right analogy, but you know, if those foods were around on a regular basis, would they have such a impact? Desire? Right. Would they have such an impact? Right. And at the same time, recognizing that, you know, baking and preparing food can be such a comforting thing mm-hmm. for people when they have more, maybe more time on their hands. I mean, that's, in the event that you can get your hands on flour and, and yeast, which, which side note, I think is just so funny, like going to the grocery store and not having, like having yeast be sold out. I know. I know. Right. And all of these years, I don't think I've ever seen, I mean, not that you're always looking for yeast, but like, that's usually like the most in stock item at the grocery right. store, right? Like that is fully stocked on the shelves. And in this case it is gone. I did. Yeah. I have been able to find some, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a jar in my fridge that I keep. So luckily I haven't had to restock, but I think you make an excellent point that we are 
like there's this weird like thing happening where people are kind of like relishing in this baking experience and they're enjoying it. But then they almost feel like it's almost like nervous energy where they have to like call out the fact that they're like baking more or like making more sweets and eating more sweets than normal. And it's almost like they feel like they have to like announce it to the world so that like their social media following like acknowledges that they acknowledge that they're eating more sweets or something or like, they need to put it out there to like feel less bad about it. I don't know. I don't know exactly yeah. what's going on, but it feels like people are like almost sheepish to admit how much they are enjoying the process of baking because right. they feel the pressure to say like, but this is so bad, you know, at the same time, even though it's not. I think the process of breaking bread, so to speak, has been around for centuries, right? It's that's the, the, that is a vehicle for community. And even if that community is, has narrowed to your immediate family or whoever's, you know, cohabitating your space with you, that is still this valuable, you know, grounding experience to create something from scratch. And I think that's a beautiful process and you get to enjoy it. And, and I think you have the, the right to enjoy it, start to finish in whatever realm that looks like for you without having to be apologetic for it. I want you to bake unapologetically and eat that unapologetically. <laughs> we are giving you permission today. <laughs> no, I think, I think you kind of, that makes what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. It's kind of like people feel the need to justify that they're baking and kind of the sense of, Oh, well I'm baking because I'm stressed out and you know, I'm quote unquote eating emotionally. And I know that's not the best coping mechanism, but you know, that's kind of what's happening. But I, like you don't, you don't need to justify eating sweets and you don't need to justify, you know, eating for comfort. That's, you know, we eat for comfort because food is, comforting and that's okay so if you whether you're baking or not whether you're you know learning how to make sourdough bread or whatever the case is or you're relying more on convenience box macaroni and cheese like those are morally equal things so and another just to get back to this article because I just love harping on it like you said it's kind of like a very confusing message that they're kind of trying to drive home where you know people are again acknowledging that they're eating more for comfort and but they don't really feel you know negatively about that besides the reference to carbageddon and then also you know at the at the end of each paragraph where the author has gotten quotes for people it's you know she lists how much weight they've gained and it's like four pounds, eight pounds. And to kind of go back to a previous point, like that's so, (laughs) it's so, you know, unimportant. It's so unimportant. It is so unimportant. And that also, okay. Yes. That it comes back again to this thought of how are we helping our community? Oh, okay. I'm going to write a, an article for the local paper to publicly announce how much weight people are gaining. Like, what? How is that helping our community right now? What are you right. doing to actively support our community? Because calling out weight gain is not supporting our community. Right. And it's it's so it's also very been there, done that. Like, it's. I think we yeah, said this on a previous it. podcast. 
<laughs> like try, please just try to have some originality. Like it would be so <laughs> wonderful to see a different take on this. And then to top it all off after this whole article, that's, you know, very like weight and food shamey. Then at the very end, there's a recipe for, for cake. And I, I just, <laughs> I'm so confused. I'm so confused. <laughs> I, honestly, it was one of the most erratic, like, all over the place articles I've ever read. Yeah. Which is probably why I got sent to both of us multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I will, you know, the quote from my colleague, who you also know. Her office is three steps from mine. Yeah, is... It's good to eat healthy for your immune system, but also give yourself a break and don't food shame. Do what you can. Like exactly. that's, that's what we've tried to been saying, I guess, in a nutshell, <laughs> just do what you can. Do what you can survive how you need to survive. And just a, a, a little side tangent. How many different articles have you seen pop up about quote unquote, boosting your immune system? Oh my goodness. If I see one more person say boost, their immune system, I'm going to, my head's going to explode. <laughs> I agree. And to me, like that's, that is kind of another one of those giving one of those things, giving people a sense of false control over yeah. what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, and definitely like diversity in having diversity in your food choices, eating things that have probiotics and prebiotics. Like, Absolutely. yes, we want to have, you know, a healthy gut. Right. All if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that we are not saying that those things are bad. That is something that we are trying to make a case for in a very new and original way. <laughs> We are making a case for eating balanced and healthy and diverse by telling you to remove food shaming, <laughs> right? Like exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. Tell our listeners why not boost. I'm sure a lot of people are like, wait, what are you talking about? Why is the word boost your immune system? The wrong word to use because food really cannot boost your immune system. Like that's not, that's not a scientifically valid thing. We can support a healthy immune system perhaps by, you know, eating things again with prebiotics and probiotics and getting, again, getting grain foods with fiber. Hello, carbohydrates right. <laughs> that are going to, it's kind of the same thing as saying boost your metabolism, right? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you cannot boost a function in your body. You cannot boost functionality in your body. It does not happen like that. You can support it, mm -hmm. but like boosting your immune system is what autoimmune diseases are born from, right? Like one of my best friends has an autoimmune disease and it's because her immune system has gone in overdrive and attacks a certain system in her body. In the real sense of the word, that's what boosting is doing. And that's not what we're trying to say. When people say boost your immunity, that's not what they're saying, right? Right. No, definitely. They're, they're saying, you know, eat fresh fruits and vegetables and, you know, get, I think a lot of the, the messages that I've seen around like boosting your immune system, a lot of them 
tend to kind of have those very trendy, maybe niche products in them. Like, right. I don't know, like bone broth comes to mind right. and kombucha or fermented foods and, and all those things. And again, like you said, those are not, we're not discouraging you from eating those things. But I think, again, it comes back to that false sense of control that those, that kind of messaging on boosting your immune system can give people. Right. And you know what else is really good for your immune system is rest and stress management. Exactly. More, more so than probably anything that food is going to do is stress and, and st- uh, stress management and rest. So hopefully that is helpful to whoever is listening out there that, you know, there is not, you can support your immune system. Yes, food can encourage, you know, diverse gut microflora, which can help your immunity in general, but in the context of the coronavirus, no, you cannot boost your immune system and (laughs) keep yourself from getting sick that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, the point of all of this is to help you guys navigate the really complex diet culture that we find ourselves in these days where there's all sorts of messaging. It's all very confusing. We don't, it's so hard to know what's right, what's not, what to follow, what to buy into and what not to. And so all this is just to say, you know, getting back to basics is the best thing you can do for yourself. And when we overcomplicate it, sometimes we lose sight of what is really important and we start to harp and fixate on things that really truly, when you look at the science of it are not going to make a huge difference, but what it ends up doing is it creates extra stress and anxiety around food and movement and health. And we're trying to help you guys get back to basics and live life and do what you're meant to do without the added burden of trying to be perfect in the realm of health and wellness. And we're trying to give you the freedom to explore what's interesting to you, what brings you joy, you know, what, what makes life really special. We're trying to help you. We're trying to help free space to help you get to that place. I agree. And I think in the, in the respective time, maybe we should, you don't want to hear my kids screaming in the background anymore. <laughs> no, I love I love hearing the kiddos. And I think that brings real life to this this podcast. Yeah. Maybe we can wrap up with some things that we've been liking that have been like kind of sources of joy and you know fun for us during quarantine. Yes. Why don't while well, my children are screaming in the background, why don't you kick us off? Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> So like I, like I mentioned a little earlier, I've certainly been baking a little bit more, which has been really quite enjoyable. I've tried a couple, I mean, I've baked a couple of just the no need bread recipes, which have been going pretty well. And, you know, there's a very nice aroma that comes with baking fresh bread. And so we've been enjoying that. And I baked a, a couple really nice bone appetite baking recipes. One, for, I had some like frozen rhubarb hidden in my freezer, and I made a really yummy rhubarb almond cake, which was delish. And I also made yeasted cinnamon rolls. So I kind of discovered that. So being from 
the east coast of Canada. Most of the cinnamon rolls that I grew up with were more of like a biscuit dough. I mean, this is maybe nobody cares, but more of like a biscuit, like quick bread dough versus like a yeasted roll dough. But here in the States, most cinnamon rolls are like a yeasted, a yeasted cinnamon roll, a yeasted bread. So I made the yeasted version for the first time. And those were really yummy as well. We really enjoyed those at our house. So yeah, I have been engaging in, in more baking. And actually, I kind of communicating back and forth with an old university professor of mine. And we're each doing like a, a bake, a different bake every week. So what? that's been really, yes. Yeah. So we're just like, you know, keep keeping in touch on Twitter. And it's been really, it's been really fun to kind of keep in touch with her. So that's one of the things that I've been enjoying a lot. So but who knows by the time this is released, whether or not I will have a, a baby on the episode. Yes, I was going to say we can't end the episode without mentioning the forthcoming edition. Yes. So, <laughs> so at this time I am, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, three to five weeks. So I'm like 37 weeks pregnant right now. So movement has been a source of, I don't know, I would the physical limitations of being 37 weeks pregnant certainly are very present right now, but just like getting outside to walk the dog around the block or, and also getting some more succumbing to my need for more rest. That's been very helpful. And then finally, a couple of podcasts that I've been really loving that are not, well, one of them's still food focused, but not nutrition focused. So Samin Nostrat from Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat uh, has a new podcast called Home Cooking that she co-hosts with another person. I can't remember their name right at the moment, but it is, it's, and they're doing a whole, like their first few episodes are all about cooking during this quarantine time. So she talks a lot about eating beans and all these different things. And it's just a very lighthearted, fun conversation. I mean, I could listen to Samin talk for forever, pretty much. I just, I want to be here. I want to be your friend. Maybe she'll listen someday and we'll get in touch. <laughs> and, and the other one that I just finished listening to two seasons of was the podcast, The Dream. And in the first episode, they go into like the history of MLMs, multi-level marketing. Oh, yes, I've heard about this. It's it's really interesting. And then in the second one, which I think I enjoyed even more, they go into the history of the wellness industry. Oh, so, yeah, it's really it's really quite good and just kind of how. I don't know, I guess kind of the positives and negatives and reasoning behind why people are so into quote unquote wellness right. and some of the re- regulatory issues that have come up with that. Yeah. So I really recommend both those ones. Certainly like the home cooking one is much more lighthearted. And then the, the dream podcast is a lot more hard hitting and not as comforting. But also really <laughs> well, I was just going to say like my COVID-19 life has been much darker than yours. But then oh, no. you said that I was like, oh, okay, all right, we're on the same page. Because I've been like binging shows like Ozark and The Tiger okay. <laughs> and things that like make you kind of want to jump out of your skin a little bit. <laughs> As if I wasn't already like antsy enough, but actually that's not totally true because I have been enjoying a lot of gardening. Oh, nice. Yeah. We, I had my husband build us a raised bed for our deck and we've been just like really getting into 
our garden and our backyard and just kind of keeping our outdoor space feeling really like vibrant and exciting. And so that's been really nice. And then I've also really been loving answering like my community's questions about cooking and like what to cook with what they have on hand. That's been really fun and kind of like a exciting like mental challenge for me. And also I'm sure like a nice way to stay connected too, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's kind of nice to be able to check in with the community members who are like, you know, messaging me for support and and asking these questions and it's it's keeping me on my toes a little bit, which is really fun. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. yeah, thank goodness for having an outdoor space. And hopefully oh. we don't get any more snow or like winter weather because we've had what, like snow twice in the last couple weeks of late April here in Maine? Oh, yeah, it snowed yesterday here. <laughs> I was like, I looked out the window and I was like, I this no, don't do this to me. Don't do Going it. Back to bed. <laughs> Can't handle it. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully as we get into May at the end of this week, we will see some nice weather so we can all kind of enjoy our outside space, however that looks, at a reasonable social distance from each other as well. I'm craving an opportunity for the summer to have gatherings, and so I'm just hoping to God that this summer has some sort of hope for that. I'm not sure what's going to happen, yeah. but I, I really I need that, and I'm, I'm holding out hope for it. Me too. I'm right there with you. Well, Andrea, my love, it's been so fun to chat today. And to all of our listeners, we are just so appreciative of all of you. And we see you. We're here for you. If you guys need support, if you need someone to talk to, message us. We are here for you guys. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with just as a final note with an upcoming new life change for myself, we might be taking a little bit more of a break, but we will definitely be back with new episodes in the future. So fear not, we are not going away for that long. I just, you know, as letting life happen. Yes. Yep. Between new babies and you having two babies <laughs> and the whole pandemic situation, I think we'll take a little bit of a step back, but we're definitely planning on being back. ASAP. That is right. So on that note, we will say goodbye and we are sending all of our listeners love and hoping that you and your families are staying safe. And until next time, until next time, take good care. You've been listening to the Food Confidence Podcast. I'm Jennifer Bravo. And I'm Andrea Paul. If you have any questions about the things you heard in today's episode or have topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, send us an email at foodconfidencepod at gmail.com or follow us and message us on Instagram at foodconfidencepod.